We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. NBA show. It is Wednesday, August 12th. Nick Whalen joined, as always, by Alex Barutha. You're listening to Dash Radio's NBA channel. Go to rotowire.com slash dash. That'll get you a free 10 days of access to our site, rotowire.com. A lot of great content, Alex, uh, has been going up there for all sports, but we are here to talk about the NBA for the next 55 minutes. And I think we would be remiss, Alex, if we talked about anything other than than Damian Lillard to begin the show. And and as a reminder, we are recording this on Tuesday night. Uh, You're listening to it, of course, on Wednesday. But uh, we're we're hitting record on this, Alex, like 20 minutes after Damian Lillard put the the cap on a 61-point effort in a win over the Dallas Mavericks on Tuesday. 18 of 18 at the line, nine threes for Dame. Uh, I I mean, we've seen him have games like this in the past. This is his third 60-point game of just this season, he's the second player ever to have at least three 60-point games in a season. The other uh, is a guy who basically breaks every single stat like this, uh, Wilt Chamberlain. Uh, just an absurd run for Damian Lillard and and one that, you know, it feels like he goes on now 
two or three times a year. And, you know, there's no better time than right now uh, for the Portland Trailblazers for Lillard to be playing like this because after tonight with, with the way that, that Memphis, you know, the wheels have just completely come off for that team, Portland is now uh, by percentage. Uh, they, they came into Orlando playing uh, one more game than all these other teams competing for the eight. As of Wednesday morning, the Portland Trailblazers are the eight seed in the Western Conference and now control their own destiny uh, as far as setting up that play in, whether it's against Memphis or Phoenix or San Antonio. Yeah, in the fourth quarter, Dame scored or assisted on 30 of the team's final 34 points. Um, yeah, he's he's been absolutely ridiculous, leading them to right now the eighth seed, jumping over the Grizzlies, who have obviously been struggling. It's just been like it, you know. Uh, people joke that the the Adam Silver set it up so that uh, Zion would have a chance to get into the playoffs, or at least we get to see him. But I think it's just as exciting. Like I think it's just as exciting for Portland to be in the playoffs and to see Dame go up against. Uh, I mean, potentially at least LeBron in the in the first round. Right. I, I think we'll we'll get to New Orleans uh, in a little bit, and you know they've been certainly among the more disappointing teams in the Orlando bubble. But I mean, looking back, were, was everyone just too quick to jump on the Pelicans? You know, kind of looking at that roster, looking at the talent, of course, assuming Zion, uh, I think would be in better shape, would be cleared to play more minutes. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people just penciled in New Orleans and, and Portland was certainly looming, but there were so many question marks, you know, first and foremost, the health of Jusuf Nur- Nurkic. But, you know, it was pretty much clear immediately in their first scrimmage that he looked basically like the Jusuf Nurkic that we saw uh, in March of 2019, last time he was healthy. And I mean, even that aside, Damian Lillard has almost single-handedly won the Blazers these last few games. I mean, CJ McCollum on Tuesday night, two of 14 from the field, uh, did knock down two key free throws to help ice that game late. But Dave's not getting a ton of help really from anybody right now. Um, and it's, you know, I, I, I wanted to ask you, what does he have to do at this point to be mentioned in the same breath as, the guys who have kind of been the somewhat of a consensus top five, I think, over the last four or five years, Steph Curry, James Harden, LeBron, Kawhi, and KD, when all those guys are healthy, usually in some order, those are your top five. You know, you could you could throw, uh, you know, Paul George in there for a year. You could throw Joel Embiid, uh, Anthony Davis, whoever you want. Giannis uh, obviously belongs in that conversation as well. But I feel like when we have these talks, and you and I do all the time, you know, in the office or on our podcast, Lillard is always, to me you know, right below that tier. Like he, to me, I've always considered him, he's closer to like the Paul George level uh, than he is th- those other, you know, ultra elite, no doubter, first ballot Hall of Famer type guys. And I, at this point, like what else does he have to do to jump into that conversation? You know, if, if not now, you know, when? I mean, I think for him, it's going to come down to like just continuing to compete in the playoffs. And I think mainly being competitive in the Western Conference Finals. I don't think he necessarily has to get to the NBA finals, um, you know, because we, this version of James Harden hasn't been to the NBA finals, uh, for example. And we still talk about him, um, obviously, as an MVP caliber player and someone who's more offensively tilted like Damian Lillard is. So I think for him, it's, it, it just comes down to finding a way to be competitive in the Western Conference finals. Like they got there, you know, last year, but. It got smacked by the Warriors, so um, that that wasn't going to do it. Uh, it's unfortunate because I think Lillard is obviously like incredible. This is one of the best seasons anyone has ever had, but 
it's it's tough to break into that group without the playoff success. Right, and that is the one thing that all those guys, I guess with the exception of Harden, uh, and I should have included Giannis in that in that first group as well. Uh, and obviously, you know, he's a little bit uh, a little bit behind some of those guys just in terms of his age and when he came into the league and and when he became a superstar. But you know, Curry has a title, has multiple titles. LeBron, multiple titles. Kawhi, uh, multiple titles. Durant, multiple titles. You know, to to really be in that top tier, obviously that's the common denominator. But you know, I, I think Curry or Lillard to me still usually trails James Harden in these debates. And you know, Harden does have the the ridiculous points per game seasons. But I mean, I I, I hate to do this you know, when we are because a lot of times you'll see questions like this, you know, on Twitter, like right after one of the guys has a fifty point game, it's like, who would you rather have, Harden or Harden or Lillard? I mean, to me, those guys are are extremely comparable at this point. I, I think most people would would say Harden coming into this past season or coming into the bubble. But I mean, Damian Lillard is is 29 years old right now. He's probably at his absolute peak. You know, probably has three or four more years at this level, and it, it still feels like he's underrated, despite the fact that he's averaging 29 points per game and creeping closer to 30. You know, every time he has one of these explosive runs. Yeah, I think I think the debate between Lillard and Harden is actually pretty close. And I think most people, like you mentioned, your your gut instinct is to say Harden. Mm-hmm. But once you really start, it, I mean, you can just break down the numbers. Their points per game are really only separated by four or five. The efficiency is extremely similar. Mm-hmm. And I think Lillard has a better assist to turnover ratio, for example. And neither of them are pluses on defense. James Harden might be a little better because he can defend in the post somewhat. But I think I think it's close. I, I don't I don't have a real answer for it. But in terms of who are the best offensive players in the NBA, I think, yeah, like you're alluding to choosing between Harden and Lillard should be an actual conversation. And honestly, I think I think Lillard and Curry is becoming a conversation as well. And, you know, Steph's a little bit older. He's 32. He's had the injuries, you know, and, you know, you talk about what a time to ask this question. You know, one of the guys has played like three games this year. Right. And we haven't really seen him at, at full strength in like a year and a half. And one guy's coming off of a, a 60 point game last night. Um, you know, obviously you're, you're it's fresh in the mind, uh, Damian Lillard, but I think Lillard versus Curry, at least these last couple of years is probably a lot closer uh, that, than people would be willing to admit. And, and Curry still kind of has that, that, that just that unquantifiable, quality about him where you you feel like anything is possible but I mean honestly Lillard is reaching that level for me and I I don't know if there's another player in the league right now who who is capable of reaching those same individual heights as a scorer I think on the on the right night James Harden can do it on the right night a lot of those guys who I I mentioned at the top can do it but I mean in terms of putting up a 61 point game when you're playing basically every other day with no fans in a just crazy environment your second best player has a fractured back which we'll get to uh, I, I, there just aren't a lot of guys in the league right now who are are capable of going on runs like this. So I know we're going on and on about Damian Lillard, but I I, I think he is more than deserving of it uh, after that game on Tuesday night. I agree. All right. So the Blazers, like we said, now in the driver's seat for that eight spot. Uh, the way the standings are working out, we are for sure going to have a play-in game. Uh, and the, the more I think about it, like I, I kind of should have done the mental math before, like that was always going to happen, right? Like no matter whether the Blazers went on a run or the Suns went on a run, like there was going to be uh, less than a four game gap between the eight and the nine. And Memphis is still, you know, despite having, I believe only one win, 
uh, thus far in Orlando, still in a pretty good position. They still control their own destiny uh, to get that nine spot um, or, or possibly the eight if Portland were to lose its final game. So Portland, Memphis still on the table. The Spurs, the Suns still very much alive. Uh, the Spurs need to beat Utah in their final seeding game, and they need two of the following three teams to lose. So they need Portland, Memphis, uh, Phoenix. Two of those three have to lose. Portland plays the Nets, Memphis plays the Bucks, and Phoenix plays the Mavericks. The Suns need a win over the Dallas Mavericks in their final seeding game, and they need a loss by Portland or Memphis. So the Suns and the Spurs um, do not control their own destiny by any means. And the way that these final seeding games are setting up uh, with, with the way that the matchups are. Dallas, of course, losing to Portland on Tuesday night. They are now locked into that seventh spot. So there's a pretty good chance that, you know, Phoenix playing Dallas in their final game, that could be kind of a rollover if the Mavs opt to rest some of their starters. Milwaukee, of course, has nothing to play for, having locked up the one. Uh, and, you know, just moments ago, Giannis Antetokounmpo was kicked out uh, of their game Tuesday night for headbutting Mo Wagner. So who knows if Giannis was going to play anyway. Uh, on Thursday, but there's a decent chance now that he might even be suspended for that game. So I, I don't I don't think this is the way that the league intended it. But, you know, this these kind of final one or two games uh, in the race for the eight seed, I think are going to end up looking a lot like games 81 and 82 in a normal season. I think so. Yeah. I mean, do you do you want to see Blazers Suns as the plan? Do you think that's like the best option as far as competition goes? Or no, you, man, or G- give, me, so- give me Spurs Grizzlies. <laughs> no, I think so, yeah. It, <laughs> that would be the worst case scenario. at this point, right? Like, who, there's really not a case for any other matchup. You know, I, I think a week ago we were talking, you know, Pelicans Blazers or Pelican Suns or, you know, even the Kings were at least somewhat enticing at that point. Uh, but I, I think, I mean, the Suns are 7-0, and and they're, they're rolling over some teams, and they've, they've had some luck in terms of injured players. You know, they played the, the skeleton squad, uh, from Philly on, on Tuesday. But I, I think Devin Booker, you know, is on a hot streak. He's not quite on a Lillard level hot streak, but I, I think the, the Booker uh, versus Lillard matchup in the eight, nine would be awesome. Everybody wants to see John Morant, but without Jaron Jackson, you know, Memphis just, just has not looked really anything like the team that, you know, was frankly firmly in the eight seed uh, based on how well they had played in, in December, January into February they just don't look the same. Um, so to me, yeah, Portland and Phoenix are, are absolutely the teams that I want to see. And I don't really care what order it's in. I mean, just to recap, the team that, that finishes in eighth uh, will just have to win one game uh, against that nine seed, whereas the nine seed would have to win the first game and then also win the second game. So you, you definitely want to be in that eight spot. There's a significant advantage there. Yeah, I think, I mean, I want the Blazers to be in to play the Lakers. So no, no, no. no. No, I, I don't want I don't want to put that on LeBron. <laughs> uh, I, I know you don't, but uh, so I guess the easiest way for them to get there to be play the Grizzlies or the Spurs. But I think competitively, I I want the Suns. And I mean, I, I at least think the Suns again would be fun to play the Lakers. I think they would probably lose quicker than the Trailblazers. But um, you know, I guess with the way with the way Lillard is playing, Nurkic has been good. Uh, they, and the way LeBron hasn't looked particularly strong, the Lakers have been not good at all, uh, especially on offense. It, people will, it's, it's going to be an interesting matchup if that happens. And, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just really excited for the potential of that. 
I'm with you in that. I think I think the Lakers want to play any of those teams but Portland. That should go without saying. And as well as Port- as Phoenix has played, that one to me seems a little bit more fluky. Um, just just because we have a much larger sample of that team just being not very good. Uh, but still, I mean, if, if Phoenix were to get in, they still have the wild card of Kelly Oubre potentially coming back. They keep listing right. him as out and then doubtful, which implies that there's at least a possibility um, that, you know, one of these days he'll he'll wake up and, and kind of feel like he's ready. And obviously buying him more time would, would be advantageous. Aaron Baines has also not played for them at all in the bubble. Um, so they're, as well as they play, they have the potential to maybe get even a little bit deeper. Um, so, so Phoenix is interesting to me, but I think Portland is the team that's probably playing most confidently right now. And it just seems like the way that the Lakers are playing, even watching them, I, I watched that full game against Denver on Monday night. Man, they just they just don't look like a number one seed team should. And we talked about this a little bit last week, where I think I said the Lakers, you know, unlike the Clippers and the Bucks, the Lakers aren't that team that against an inferior opponent they're just going to throttle them by thirty and it's going to be over by the third quarter. Like they do tend to have teams stick around, and and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but something is glaringly wrong with the Lakers on both ends. And I, I think they need more games to figure it out. And having to be thrust into this series against a team that's probably the equivalent of a normal four or five seed in round one, you know, not having the luxury of being able to kind of figure things out in four or five games against the Grizzlies or the Spurs or the Pelicans, or, you know, if you're playing in the East, the Magic or the Nets, like those are those are tune-up games that could be really valuable. And I think the Lakers really need those right now. I'm not saying they would, you know, I would pick the Lakers to lose to Portland, but I, at this point, I really would not be that surprised if if that's what happened. Yeah, I mean, I guess one thing is, like, as far as the Blazers go, there might be, I think there should be some concern at least that Lillard might run out of gas or yes. hit some sort of wall because he's playing, you know, 40-plus minutes a night. He's taking 25 shots a game, and there's the potential that he's going to have to play two more additional games. Right. Because of the plan. On a back-to-back. On a back-to-back, which right. will probably be, again, 45 minutes a game for him, and then go right into the series against the Lakers. And as much as momentum, I think, does play a factor, the, I think it, there's a possibility that his legs and, and everyone else's legs could kind of give out, and that the Lakers, even though they're playing at way less than their potential, still find a way to eke it out in, like, five games. Yeah, I, I think... I think the Lakers are, are at a disadvantage not having these games at home. Um, it's very concerning to me that we're multiple, what, three, four, five weeks into, you know, actually players being in the bubble, probably four weeks now. And the Lakers are basically the only team still talking about how uncomfortable it is and how they're still getting used to the baskets. Like, <laughs> I, it, it just feels like LeBron is like laying the excuse groundwork already for like, hey, I'm just saying we got here's here's what's wrong. If if we were to lose, this might be why. Uh, there just doesn't seem to be like a lot of confidence oozing from the Lakers locker room right now. LeBron has had some very strange quotes um, in, the, in the last few days that just don't inspire the same confidence that that team very clearly had back in mid-March when they had just beat the Clippers and the Bucks. Uh, something has changed for them, and I, I think Portland would be poised to uh, to kind of take advantage of that. But we'll see. You know, I, I think the, the Lakers' last seeding game weirdly will actually say a lot. I mean, who knows how much they're actually going to try, but you know, if, if they come out on, you know, on, on Thursday against the Kings and 
win by 25, LeBron, AD, Kuzma all look good. You know, maybe it could just be that quick of a turnaround in, in terms of confidence because I, I think the win on Monday certainly helped in that regard. But they're vulnerable. Uh, the Blazers are hot. But like you said, we, we kind of saw that happen in terms of Lillard running out of gas um, just last season in the playoffs. You know, I mean, he was incredible down the stretch. And then, you know, when when it got to the Western Conference Finals against admittedly it was is an incredible all-time Golden State team that they probably weren't going to beat anyway. Um, he, he ran out of gas very quickly. And what 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 went from a an incredible awe-inspiring uh, you know, run through the first couple of rounds was was very quickly forgotten. I, I don't think he even scored 25 points in any of those those games against Golden State. So, you know, it, it, it's a lot to put on one guy's shoulders. And and like I hinted at before, we found out after Tuesday night's game that CJ McCollum is playing through a fracture in his lower back. And he's apparently played three games with it. So it's it's not overly debilitating or it's not, I guess, quite as bad as as you would think by when you hear the term fractured back. But he was two of fourteen from the field on Tuesday, and and that's the type of injury that, especially in this type of environment where you're basically playing every other day for as long as you're alive, um, he's not really going to get a chance to rest that. And you know, if CJ McCollum is at sixty or seventy percent come the first round of the playoffs, that's a pretty major issue. It is. Then they would have to lean a ton on Yusuf Nurkic, who is going to be going against Anthony right. Davis, Dwight Howard. And, you know, they're going to kind of have to hope that Gary Trent Jr. and Carmelo Anthony can score, you know, 40 points a game combined or close to that. Um, if if McCollum is essentially, you know, having these bad games right. and is not much of a factor. And that, I mean, that obviously puts those guys in a tough spot. But Melo, I mean, Melo has actually looked great. I feel like he at least deserves some recognition in terms of like they he's playing a lot better in this scenario than he was during the regular season. And that's what they got him for. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you wonder if the Lakers don't regret maybe taking a flyer on Melo, uh, you know, way back when he was available. The Rotowire NBA podcast is brought to you by PropSwap. The smart sports better knows where to find the best odds before placing any bet. And that is why smart sports betters use PropSwap. It's America's marketplace to buy and sell sports bets. Just last week, a customer bought a Miami Heat to win it all ticket at the odds of 42 to 1. FanDuel right now has a Miami Heat at 25 to 1 to win the NBA title. PropSwap customers always find the best odds because you're buying directly from other bettors like yourself. See a ticket you like, but you think the price is just a little bit too high? Submit a bid for a price you think is fair, then you can buy that ticket outright. It's the best way to make sure you're getting the best odds possible. No sportsbook is going to offer some of the odds that you'll find on PropSwap right now. They just simply will not. PropSwap, where America buys and sells sports bets. You know, I one thing I wonder about the Lakers as well is, you know, the, the question for them, I guess, all season has been, like, which of these role players is finally going to step up? And, and I, Kyle Kuzma, to some degree, has answered, answered the bell. He was great uh, on Monday against Denver. But when you get beyond that, um, you know, Danny Green, with the exception of Monday night, has been horrific. KCP is currently injured. He hasn't been great. Caruso has been very disappointing. J.R. Smith already out of the rotation. Deion Waiters, awesome on offense, horrific on defense. Um, and then you look around at the rest of the league, and it seems like every other contending team has guys coming out of the woodwork and putting up 25 when a starter is out, you know? 
Gary Trent Jr. is coming out of nowhere to look like the next Duncan Robinson or perhaps the next Reggie Miller uh, somewhere in the middle. And like the, it's, the Lakers just don't seem to have that guy, whereas it feels like every other team is like discovering one or two more guys who, who could be a key piece. Whereas like for the Lakers, it's going the other way. And it's like, well, that guy probably can't be in the rotation. That guy can't be in the rotation. And all of a sudden it's Quinn Cook and Taylor Horton Tucker uh, <laughs> now now in the rotation instead of Rajon Rondo and Avery Bradley. And where other teams are getting stronger, they, they seem to be getting weaker. Yeah, I mean, the, their concern, I guess, has always been the half-court offense. I Like, they can obviously run in transition, especially the half-court offense, I, I should say, when LeBron's not on the court. Um, it, they just, like, don't... You're right about Kuzma, but he's not creating for other players either. He's kind mm-hmm. of a black hole offensively, and he's not, you know, he's not, like, amazingly efficient or anything. And, you know, we, we've talked about Danny Green kind of regressing this year, and he's not a volume scorer Avery Bradley's not like they just don't really have like waiters has been fine, but he can't hit a three in the bubble like Rondo. They kind of actually need Rondo as disturbing as that is to a lot of people to like be sometimes their third guy. Yeah, and, and not their third scoring option or the third guy that you think of in the traditional sense, but the guy to run things when LeBron is not on the court and one of their issues right now is they're not playing that well with LeBron on the court. And if you're getting if you're getting outscored or you're playing to a stalemate with LeBron on the court, you're setting yourself up for failure because you're the way that this roster and frankly most LeBron rosters throughout his career have been constructed. They're constructed to do really well when he's out there and then just tread water when he's not. And you kind of hope that's enough. And and right now when the LeBron lineups aren't playing that well, the non-LeBron lineups aren't playing well. That's how you, you know, you hear these stats when you watch a Lakers game or, or you listen to a podcast and you hear, you know, last on in offensive efficiency, last in free throw percentage, last in three point percentage. Nothing's really been going right for the Lakers. And, you know, I, like I said, I'm starting to worry. Uh, let me ask you, are you more confident about the Lakers beating, let's say, Portland or Phoenix or the Clippers beating a much better opponent, I think, in, in the Dallas Mavericks in round one? Uh, wow, that's a tough question. Uh, and maybe I shouldn't say Dallas is much better, but I think they they are a better team, at least record wise, and and you know having the two stars uh, than a Portland or a Phoenix. I, I mean, if we kind of put away like the potential fatigue factor for Lillard, because I think that matters, but I think I'd be more confident in the Clippers. I mean, I think the Clippers are better, and I think they have better than the Lakers, and I think they have the personnel, especially to just slow Luka Doncic down um, more than the Lakers have the personnel to slow like Dame Lillard down. But yeah, I think that'd be my answer. Cause I I think, I think this version of the trailblazers when like fully healthy essentially is not much worse if worse at all than the, than the Mavericks. Uh, So yeah, I think I think since I think the Clippers are the better team, they've also been playing better in the bubble. That's that's how I'd lean. Yeah, I mean, I tried to think of it as like if Portland was playing the Clippers and Dallas was playing the Lakers, I think I would be equally equally scared if I was the Lakers, if not more scared. Right. I mean, I know they played Dallas fairly well this year. They've had a few close games, including in the bubble. But um, like I know Dallas doesn't have the greatest supporting cast. They don't have a ton of depth, but like. I mean, Luka, Luka Doncic and, and Damian Lillard, I think, are kind of on similar heaters. Lillard's is more scoring-based. Doncic is more just all around. I mean, some of the lines that he had, um, I think we led last week's show with him having that that insane 30-20-10 game. 
I, I think they present some similar challenges, but I, I think you're totally right that the Clippers like floor on defense, especially with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard is so high that like those guys can guard absolutely anybody. The Lakers definitely necessarily don't have that personnel right now. Um, and uh, like you said, I, as, as well as Lillard and, and Doncic are playing, I think I would side with the team that has two of the four best defensive wings in the entire league. Yeah. And Doncic is like you mentioned, he's playing out of his mind right now. He's averaging 33, 12 and 12 in the bubble. Mm-hmm. But it's also his and Porzingis's first playoff series. Right. And I think the experience does matter, especially when going up against one of these top teams. So as good as I think they are, I would not really – If I mean, I think it would be a win if they pushed uh, the Clippers to six games. Like, I think you yeah. could call that a success. I saw someone point out on Twitter, uh, I think it was yesterday, that uh, if the Lakers were to win the title – uh, would this be the toughest path ever to an NBA title? So the, the theoretical path would be Portland in round one, probably Houston in round two, the Clippers in the West Finals, and then Milwaukee or Toronto in the NBA Finals. Would that be the toughest path a team has ever had? Off the top of my head, I want to say yes. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really tough to be like, well, actually, no, in 1983, uh, the run <laughs> But I, I think what makes it so tough is that the eight seed isn't your typical eight seed, right? So you're, you're basically beating like a four seed, another four seed. Um, and then obviously the Clippers are great. And then, you know, that potentially an all time great type of team in Milwaukee. Yeah, I think I think there's it's a very real possibility. The Lakers play a seven game series in every series, like yeah. six or seven at least. And that would obviously that'd be very tough. And that's not something you should say about a one seed, right? No. No, there's just, they just don't they don't seem like they have that step on your throat. Uh, you know, let's get this series over type of mentality right now. Uh, last thing on the Western Conference is Utah still the team that you'd most want to face in round one? <laughs> the six seed Utah. Yeah, I have not been particularly impressed with them. I mean, Mike Conley has at least looked like the Mike Conley that we knew in Memphis. Mm-hmm. Uh, which has been encouraging, but and like Mitchell is, you know, taking on a huge role, but he hasn't been especially efficient. I don't know. The chemistry there is pretty suspect. Losing Bogdanovich is huge for them. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I can also see the argument for the Thunder. I, the Thunder's defense has been incredible, though. It's it's a tough call, but I think I think we should not be surprised. I guess is what I'm getting to. If Utah makes a very quick exit. Uh, unceremoniously in like five games. Right. And it seems like it's kind of been heading that way for a while. Um, you know, ever since Bogdanovich was out and, and this was a team that didn't have a ton of depth anyway, but um, yeah, strange times when the, the six seed or even the five seed OKC, it's like, I, I think the Lakers would rather play either of those teams than the seven Dallas or, or the nine or eight, I should say right now uh, in Portland, which teams now that we are, you know, nearing the end of seeding games. And I, I think these last couple for most teams are, are going to be fairly iffy uh, in terms of which guys are in and it's going to be a lot of rest. So which teams, as we look toward the playoffs, do you feel better or worse about uh, after what we've seen through these seeding games? Uh, well, OKC, okay, since I just mentioned them, I mean, them, they have the second best defense in the bubble, which has been awesome. And uh, I think I think they're 18th in offense, which obviously isn't good. I think they can play above that. 
in the playoffs, especially with Chris Paul, all those guys playing, you know, 40 something minutes. Toronto, I mean, they're somehow they have the worst offense in the bubble, but the fact that their defense is the best by a full 7.8 points per 100 possessions is crazy to me. Uh, I don't know how you score on them. They've they've looked incredible on that side of the ball offensively, and I think, or uh, and on 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 offense that will pick up eventually. And Miami, like Miami, is doing it without Jimmy Butler. These games, Kendrick Nunn has been out. Goran Dragic has been out. They're getting by with like Bam Adebayo, Kelly Olynyk, Duncan Robinson minutes, and in the bubble, tenth best offense, seventh best defense. Um, they have looked. They have looked awesome, and obviously, like it's a cliche at this point, but you don't want to face them in in round one or really at any point. Yeah, I agree with with all those picks um, on on your part. I, I think Miami is the team that's probably shown me the most of the, of the ones that you named. Uh, I, I think Toronto is certainly in that category, but this isn't all that surprising. The, Toronto's basically sure. just kind of picked up where they left off, and it's with with the way that Milwaukee and the LA teams have somewhat struggled. Uh, I think that makes what Toronto's done even more impressive, but I think Miami had more question marks coming into this. You know, they had, they had been somewhat of a Jekyll and Hyde team throughout the regular season, uh, looked awesome on some nights, you know, really gave teams like Milwaukee trouble and then would just be, be fallen to some really bad losses that, that other, other good teams would not take. I mean, they were a team that was 15 and 20 away from home. So I, I think they're one of the teams that's maybe benefiting from not having to go on the road, um, and, and Miami to me is now a little bit scarier, uh, as a, you know, a first or a second round opponent, if you're a Milwaukee or a Toronto, uh, than they were before. I would even throw the nets on that list in terms of teams that have impressed yeah. me positively. Brooklyn is five and two right now. We, we wrote that, we wrote that predictions article for the site a couple of weeks ago before seeding game started. And one of my predictions was that either the nets or the wizards would go defeated uh, the Wizards are, are holding up their end of the bargain. They're uh, on the way to be 0-7 if they lose to Milwaukee on Tuesday night uh, as we record. But Brooklyn is 5-2 and two right now, and they've logged some good wins. You know, they've, they've been another one of those teams that they've caught some teams um, on the right night when, when starters have been resting. But to me, that doesn't even matter because the Nets have also been resting some of their starters. I mean, Levert, Harris, and Jared Allen have sat out multiple games already. And even if they weren't, their team is already decimated. Uh, so I think for them to come in and you know, if they had gone two and six in the seeding games, that would have been a success. Uh, they're going to have a chance now to finish six and two, which is really encouraging. Obviously, they're going to get killed in round one. But I, I think as an organization, like developmentally, they have to be thrilled with how this has gone. Yeah, especially since we don't know. You know I mean, Katie and Kyrie will be there next season, but we kind of don't know what's going to happen with Dinwiddie or Levert. Mm-hmm. or even Jared Allen to some extent because DeAndre's there. So the fact that they're able to do this with kind of this r- r- seemingly random like cast of characters, like Timothy Luwawu Cabarro scoring 24 points every other game, essentially. Yeah, yeah Jeremiah um, Martin putting up numbers. Exactly. So I think they have to feel good about that, at least to where if they find a way to get a third max guy, that they're like, we can piece together another five, six, seven players who can play and keep this team afloat, essentially, while the stars sit or are out whenever they are. Exactly. That's a great way to put it. They, I mean, they're going to be one of those teams, you know, much like the the Lakers or the Clippers, who uh, are so top-heavy when you have a lot of money tied up in two superstars. You know, Levert already has an extension. 
Uh, they're going to have decisions to make on some of those other guys that you mentioned. When you have a really top-heavy roster like that, it's super important to have these like near-minimum type of guys who you can actually depend on for real minutes at times. And you know, I'm not saying that that's going to be Jeremiah Martin, but you you really like to see these type of performances when when basically your seven best players weren't playing today. I mean, they were even resting Garrett Temple. Like that's where the Nets are right now. <laughs> that Garrett Temple is in the like we can't we can't let this guy play today. Like he's too important. Last note on the Nets, by the way, did you see the Justin Anderson line today? I missed it. So he played 31 minutes, the most among any net starters. Two points on one of 15 shooting, 0 of 12 from three. Do you think you've ever missed 14 shots in a competitive basketball game? Uh, in, in like a sanctioned basketball game, no. I don't think so. Right. In a pickup game, absolutely. No question. Sure. It's just, I mean, he went, he went one of three from two-point range. Like a decent night, you know, maybe an off night, but like you would think after like the eighth miss, you're just like, all right, this is not my night. Four more after that. Incredible yep. confidence. True. So on the other side of this question, uh, which are some teams that you feel worse about after these seeding games? And I, I think we've already hit on a couple of them. Yeah, we've hit on the Lakers. Um, I, the Bucks too, they've just kind of been average, which is not what you want from a team that is supposed to be the best in the conference. Uh, Giannis on Lion Knights has looked really frustrated. Um, it kind of, you know, uh, exploded when he had bugged Mo Wagner tonight. Uh, but yeah, I think teams have just, it seems like they found a way to kind of slow the bucks down or slow Giannis down specifically and get in front of Giannis cause he gets in foul trouble a lot. Um, that obviously hurts, hurts the bucks and then Philly, I mean, Philly's been bad on defense, and that's where they're supposed to be the best. So that's obviously concerning. Um, other than those teams, is there anybody else for you? No, I, th- I think you hit on the main ones in the Lakers and the Bucks. Uh, the, I have nothing else to say about the Lakers uh, other than I'm very concerned. You know, Philly obviously has the the injury concerns that have made them really difficult to evaluate. And I, I, just, I don't know if we're going to get a great read on Philly in terms of you know, what they are for the rest of this year or even going into next year. Just really, really tough to evaluate a team with the, you know, you're missing one-year All-Stars. And, you know, I, I think there's a chance that this goes one way. And, you know, it, we kind of see what a lot of people have maybe thought, uh, you know, underlyingly that this team is better with one of Simmons and Embiid. And this is kind of Embiid's chance to show that if, if he's one of the people who believes that. And, I think if, if you're going to go into the playoffs with one or the other, I mean, it, it's a, a Sophie's choice, obviously, but I think you'd rather have Embiid uh, just because of what he brings defensively, just because so few teams have anybody these days that can even match up with him size-wise. Um, but they're obviously at a big disadvantage. The other team for me uh, is Memphis. And, you know, I, I, we, we've talked for a few weeks about, about the Grizzlies on and off, and you said, I think this was back in like mid-July, uh, when I was asking you for for some like impromptu takes for next season, and I remember you saying that you thought Memphis could end up being a bottom three team in the West next year, which you know kind of sounds like sacrilegious because everyone loves Jaron Jackson and Brandon Clark and John Morant. But I mean, this team, I, I know they've had injury issues of their own, but they frankly they weren't playing very well before Jaron Jackson went down. And when you look at how well Portland has played, how well Phoenix has played, even San Antonio uh, with a lot of their younger guys stepping up. I think we expect big things from New Orleans next year. Golden State should obviously be astronomically better. 
uh, you know, it's way too early to start looking ahead at, at where the Grizzlies are going to be finishing at the end of the 2021 season. But, you know, it, as promising as this year was, I, I think you might be onto something. And then as far as that team having, you know, another leap or two to make before they're a team that we can just perennially pencil into the bottom half of the playoffs. Yeah, we're kind of seeing it like in the bubble with like when these games are really, really competitive, they are struggling to find offense especially and they don't have a ton of like amazing defenders on their team they're not really i mean i don't know they don't have their pick uh for this upcoming draft so any you know additional developments or guys they'll get i'm not sure they probably won't be getting anyone in free agency i i assume that would be like a swing piece but yeah i mean you know if they're in that tier next season with basically what san antonio sacramento and minnesota I think that's the tier they belong in rather than whoever else you're predicting to be bad, whether it be, you know, maybe Phoenix, Portland. I, I don't I don't even know. I mean, if, if you assume OKC tanks, that's that's a different story. But I think I think it's more likely than not that they're that they're a bottom three team. And it's I, I wouldn't say they're going to be worse than Minnesota or Sacramento necessarily. But like, do you think they're I mean. I think there's a possibility that they're the worst team in the West next year, as crazy as that is to say. But you look at every other team in the league, or every other team in the conference, I should say, and it's hard for any of those teams. None of those teams are going to say, we're, oh, yeah, we're going to miss the playoffs. You know, so I, maybe they are the worst team in the conference next season. You're not going to get this analysis on any other NBA show. <laughs> Let me just tell you, like we're we're midway through the seeding games. We're telling you where the Memphis Grizzlies are going to finish next year. We're we're yes. looking a year ahead uh, on the Rotowire NBA show, and you're of course listening to Dash Radio's NBA channel, Rotowire.com/slash/dash to get free ten days to our site. Uh, picking up back on the Grizzlies, though, you're right. I mean, I, I think they're a different team with Jaron Jackson. Uh, that goes without saying. Brandon Clark has been awesome. Morant looks like a superstar. We we can get all that out of the way. Beyond those guys, this is not a very good roster, and it's a roster that needs a ton of work. You know, I mean, they're Jaron Jackson is out, and they're starting Anthony Tolliver right now. You know, Kyle Anderson has not been a good free agency signing for that franchise. Jonas Valanciunas always kind of viewed as as a rental. Um, you know that they that they got back in the Marcus Saul trade. Dylan Brooks has been arguably the single most damaging wing player uh, for any team, for any guy who's playing 30 plus minutes uh, on any team in the bubble. Um, and, and then you look at their bench, you know, it's just a, a lot of guys who are just kind of hanging on. Gorgie Jang, Yuta Watanabe, John Konkar, uh, you know, De'Anthony Melton, with the exception of Grayson Allen, who's actually been, you know, surprisingly pretty good in the bubble. Like this team could use a massive facelift other than like three or four guys. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, obviously... Morant set Brooks as as set as you know as you 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 might not want him to be but he's there. It's a horrifying sentence. Yes, uh, Brandon Clark obviously is good, but yeah, that tier of like you alluded to, Kyle Anderson, Grayson Allen. I mean, it's, I'm 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 interested to see what Josh Jackson can do, but I don't think he's going to be the guy who like turns you know takes this team from. <laughs> third worst in the conference to like sixth worst in the conference. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think they still are rebuilding and I think this, it would have been, it, it's, it'll be nice if they make the playoffs and mm. it'll be fine if they don't. I just, I just think they're still in the midst of a rebuild and that's okay because their best player is 20 years old. Right. And their second best player is, you know, also 20 years old. 
I think they're a team that could end up falling victim to maybe like false expectations, if that's the right word. Like, I don't think it would have been that crazy for them this year to be in the position that the Timberwolves are in. It wouldn't have been that like if John Morant was still playing well and they just weren't winning games, you know, they maybe a lot of close losses, maybe an injury here and there, and they're a team that was like twenty and forty-six. I don't think that would have been that bad. We would have been like, yeah, I mean, they were picking second in the draft for a reason. They're young. It's it's whatever. Nobody would have held it against them as like this horrific disaster of a season. You have a new coach, you know, like I, I think that would have been totally fine. And I think the fact that they were better this year is now maybe setting them up to fail in the in the short term. Uh, which isn't totally fair. I, I think they're probably due for a step back. And, and a lot of it, like you said, is not really their own fault. It's just every other team, there, there are so many positives, I guess, with, with a lot of these other teams, even the ones that, that are going to finish below them this year, that, um, you know, like just lining up that Memphis roster against like the Pelicans, you know, it's really not close in terms of the depth of talent. Um, and, and as you alluded to, I, I think they're closer to a Sacramento or a Minnesota type of roster where, it's very top heavy. You have a select few guys you feel good about. And then beyond that, you know, it's kind of a mix and match every single night. Two of the teams that we did not mention uh, when, when speaking about the most disappointing teams in the seeding games are Sacramento and New Orleans. And I, I asked you this question of which of the two is more disappointing. Uh, and I, I know you feel it's it's New Orleans and really not all that close. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's close. They They have the third worst point differential in the bubble they're just i mean i i think it just comes down to they're too talented for this aren't they like drew holiday zion lonzo ingram Derek favors is is, is solid mm-hmm. like i it, it's just it remains like I've, i just keep hammering this point home it remains inconceivable to me that they are this bad especially right. on defense and i mean some of this in the bubble is zion left had to come back i don't think his conditioning was right him and lonzo were awful like negative players. Zion was minus 10 as far as a net rating for the bubble. Lonzo minus 28 net rating. He shot 26% from the field, which is, that's about as bad as any eight game stretch in the history of basketball. So Mm -hmm. they, I mean, they need those guys to be good to win, but you would also think they could just survive with other guys playing well. And they just can't, they just can't. Yeah. For them, it's puzzling. There seems like it, it, there's almost like a, something that I feel like is going to like, they're the team that in three weeks, I feel like we're going to hear something and like, Oh, okay. That makes sense. Right. And it, I don't know. Cause like there really haven't been any rumblings. Yeah. You know, I, I, who knows what it is. I don't know if it's a, an Alvin Gentry issue. If it's a, just, you know, the lineups just aren't, aren't meshing like they should type of issue. I mean, they've had guys kind of coming in and out all year, Zion being the best example, but going back to, to what you said, like the talent is just too much. And for them to be, you know, markedly worse than teams that are throwing out like borderline G League rosters like the Nets. And, you know, I mean, the Pelicans have been just getting destroyed and, and they're they're the team that was supposed to have, you know, the schedule that was set up well for them uh, down the stretch. And they just haven't been able to take advantage whatsoever. And and, and I'm with you. I, I think like Ingram and Ingram and Holiday alone, that duo is better than whatever the top two of, of any of these other teams that are fighting for the eight is. And like you would think that that two alone would be enough to at least make them competitive. And then you throw in all those other parts that everybody likes, um, you know, Zion, Redick, Favors, uh, Lonzo, whoever. It something's just not adding up with that team. Um, and and I, I think I'm, I'm with you that they, based on the expectations, they're probably more disappointing. But I mean, Sacramento is is right there, and that I think that team gave up after like two and a half quarters, 
in Orlando. And it it's kind of back to the same old Kings. Honestly, it, it they have at least one guy in De'Aaron Fox who you really like going forward. But Bogdanovich, you know, he's played well. But, you know, what what's his contract situation going forward? Will he even be in a Sacramento Kings uniform after this year? Who knows? If he walks out the door, if, you know, Buddy Heald, who we talked about last week as a potential trade candidate, kind of seems like he's on the outs with with either management or coaching or both. You know, if those guys are out the door and it's just kind of back to De'Aaron Fox and nobody else, it, it feels like it's the Kings are where they have been from 2006 through 2018. Right. Yeah, it's I don't know. I mean, I remember. I mean, at least for the Pelicans before Zion came back, there was a lot of rumblings that Elvin Gentry was on the hot seat. Right. Because they started off so bad. like They were awful since the beginning of the season. Then they got a little bit better. Then Zion came back. They got good, and now they're they're horrible again. And as far as Sacramento, it's just like again, it's, it's it almost seems like it's an organizational thing because they should. It feels like they have the talent to be more competitive than this. Darren Fox is an amazing player. Buddy Heald, I, the Buddy Heald situation is perplexing. I, that, that he feels like a guy you need to play thirty minutes a night to try to get him twenty points. And instead, he's playing 19, 20, 25 minutes a game. Uh, so that's they're they're a mess. I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know if they're going to try to change coaches again, but I, I I don't know how many other solutions they they really have. Yeah, they've firmly entered the like Cleveland Browns zone or like the Redskins zone, where it's it just feels like you're assuming the worst no matter what happens like whoever they hire whoever they draft whoever they sign you're just like this is not going to work out no matter what something is going to go wrong and organizations that that reach that point oftentimes start you know acting irrationally or pulling the plug too quickly on things and you know coaches are are certainly one of them but i mean i i think the kings almost benefit from the fact that like it seems like nobody covers this team anymore like it's very hard to find kings news there's not a lot of kings talk you know you hear rumblings every now and then that Luke Walton is definitely not the guy uh, in that locker room. But like you said, I mean, it, it, that was one of those hires that for for this franchise, at least it was a, it was the rare like, OK, everybody seems to be on board with this. It feels like it might work out. And here we go again. And, you know, it just it seems like the wheels have already come off. And if you started if you start over again with a new coach, it just every time you do that, it, it feels like it pushes your timeline back another two to three years if you're talking about contending for the playoffs. Right. And they're. Their hope right now is going to be Marvin Bagley stays healthy next year and is a someone that can just contribute. Like that's the point that they're at, I think, as a franchise is can Marvin Bagley be a starter next year, potentially, or even a high level backup? Because if he can't do that, then they're again, like you alluded to, they really hit like that Cleveland Browns territory where I you you could see them missing the playoffs for another five years. You could see Darren Fox just up and leaving. Um, and they have to start the whole process over and over again. Then you don't trust them to make the right draft right. picks and it just keeps going. The Bagley pick is, and this is not news to anybody, but that, I mean, that's his reaching all time gaff status, right? I mean, it's yeah. going to be, and it's not necessarily his fault because he has been pretty good when he's been out there, but I don't know, man. I mean, I'd, there's not there's not a ton of precedent for guys missing like 70 games their first two years and then being arguably the best player ever. Um, you know, like like Luka Doncic is, is statistically on his way to doing um, through two years. So, 
Yeah, just adding insult to injury for Sacramento. Um, do, you, do you remember, by the way, when Vlade Divac said they were going to consider playing Bagley like on the wing at the three? Oh yeah, I I remember that. I just want to. I have no. I have nothing else to add. I just want to make sure we put that out there and um, remember that that was said, um, and that was something that the Kings were planning on doing, uh, because you know they at the time had too many guards. Yeah, you don't. We don't need a guard. <laughs> we have we have Corey Joseph. We have Yogi Ferrell. We did not need Luka Doncic. Um, so looking at the Eastern Conference, I feel like we've spent most of this time talking about the West. I actually really like how things are shaping up right now and. A lot can still change uh, between the four, five, six, uh, or the yeah the four, five, six range. Miami, Indiana, Philadelphia, all those teams separated by two games right now. But I kind of I kind of hope things hold up as is, which would give us Milwaukee, Orlando. That's a four game series. Toronto, Brooklyn. That's a four game series. Boston, Philly, and then Miami, Indiana in round one. I I think that with some of the storylines, you know, Boston, Philly kind of being this minor inherent rivalry. Um, and then Miami, Indiana, you know, we had the TJ Warren, Jimmy Butler incident back before the suspended season. Those teams played on Monday. They'll play again, uh, I believe in their final seeding game. And then to then have to play another series against each other. Uh, I, I think that's the series that would have the most, uh, like potential for like a fight, which is basically what I'm looking for in a round one series. Right. I wish, I wish there was a way that Miami played Philly in the first round. But I really would have only wanted to see that had Ben Simmons been around just for like the Jimmy Butler versus 76ers narrative yes. thing. Now it would just be sad, potentially. Uh, so I, I think you're right. I think these matchups, they do make a lot of sense. I think, um, you know, you, you would have Embiid, who by all accounts has to be the complete focal point of the Sixers offense going up against the playoff team with. I think the worst center rotation in Boston. Yes, exactly. And then you also get the Al Horford dynamic there. Maybe he can play well in Boston. Uh, well, you're not in Boston, but like against his former team, I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I mean, Miami, Indiana would be a lot of fun. I mean, hopefully everyone can stay healthy for that because Indiana is dealing with like Brogdon has had this kind of recurring injury and obviously Oladipo. But I think those two teams would, yeah, would kind of be. I, both these teams would be, or series, I should say, would be feel like slugfests. Right. I mean, Philly and, and Indiana are the teams that are dealing with the injuries. And I, I think if they could play each other, you know, maybe those would offset. It would, would give us a nice series. But I, I, you, you hit on it. I mean, I, I think Philly, without Simmons, like Boston of those teams is is the one that I think they could still beat just because they don't have an answer for Joel Embiid. Uh, I, I would pick Boston in that series. You know, Philly hasn't looked great and, and being down an all-star is, is a big deal. But if there's one team that he could really feast against, you know, if, it, if you're talking Sixers versus Heat or Sixers versus Celtics, I think that the Sixers would much rather play Boston. Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, it, it could be one of those series where Embiid averages like 35 and 15, but they lose in five games or something. Mm-hmm. And, um, as, yeah, as, as upsetting as that would be, cause I think that could, would have been a really competitive series and a, obviously a more fun series had, had Ben Simmons been there. Um, I'm, I'm still excited for this Eastern conference playoffs. Um, you know, the idea that like at the beginning of the season, well, the East might be better than the West this year. I mean, that's insane, but all the, all this, all these playoff series in both, both conferences, minus the one and the two in the East are looking to be awesome. So yeah. I'm just really excited to like, start watching playoff basketball at this right. point. The top six in the East, I think, is as good as it's been in a long time. That's for sure. sure. I think the depth of the West is still 
extreme. I mean, the West goes 12. I mean, it depends if you want to count the Pelicans, but probably 12 deep with, with teams that are really good and teams that are definitely better than the seven or the eight in the East. But I mean, healthy Indiana, healthy Philly, those teams are are just as good, if not better than Utah, uh, Oklahoma City, I think very comparable to to a Houston or a Denver. Um, and I, I think when fully healthy, like six, the, the Sixers, even if they had Simmons, were probably going to be the sixth seed anyway. And they're better than the sixth seed in the Western Conference. So that, that says a lot. Um, but I, I think the second round in the East is when things are going to get really, really fun. I mean, it's setting up right now for Milwaukee, Miami, potentially in round two. And then, you know, Toronto versus Boston or Toronto versus Philly, which uh, Milwaukee, Miami, I think, is especially the the, the matchup that Milwaukee uh, would prefer to avoid. And uh, I mean, the Heat are, are almost certainly going to finish fourth or fifth. So there's a very, very good chance that we get that matchup in round two. And it, that, like I said, that's the one Milwaukee wants to avoid. That's the team out of the entire NBA. That's the Miami Heat are the team that have given them the most trouble this season. Autobio is an incredible defender and like the perfect guy to to guard Giannis um and you know we've talked about before Jimmy Butler then you just throw him on Chris Middleton and just try to have him you know shut Middleton down and then the Bucks have to rely a ton on Bledsoe and Brooke Lopez and Lopez has been awesome I should say it's 20 he's like 20 points a game in the bubble um his his three-point shooting is you know, progressing back to like the mean that it was last year. But yeah, that is, that is a scary series for Milwaukee, especially because they haven't looked that well. Miami's Miami's looked better than them, frankly. And so uh, Milwaukee, I think is to some extent going to have to use the first round matchup as a legitimate tune up. And I don't know how much they can actually coast. Like I thought we've talked earlier about, Oh, well, Milwaukee can just use these games as a tune up though. Again, they'll coast through the first round, I didn't think they would look this out of sorts. And so I think they may actually have to try not necessarily try hard to like beat, um, you know, Orlando, but just try to play as well as possible. And if they can beat Orlando by 30, 40 points a game, playing the starters to make sure everyone's in rhythm, they might just try to do that. Cause if they are, if they're still out of sync by the time they play Miami, that's going to be a, a real problem. Yeah, no, I think that's totally fair. Um, Miami's been a tough matchup for Milwaukee uh, all season, and and I, I really hope that's what we get in round two. We're out of time, unfortunately, Alex. This was a lot of fun. Uh, we'll be back on the Rotowire NBA show on Dash Radio's NBA channel next week on Wednesday. <laughs>